city, uh, which comes out beginning of August. And the, the way, as he describes it, leaving society is a process. There's many, there's many degrees of it. So I think he would say you can, you can all make steps. Anyone can make steps to leave society to some degree and you can leave more and more. Whereas I, I guess in the kind of 60s model, uh, the late 60s model of dropping out, you can really just pack up your bags one day. We could pack up our bags now and jump in a Volkswagen and drive out to the country and join a farm, join a commune. And, and in a way, that's all it took, at least for a while until things start to go wrong you can really just pack up and go straight to the commune and things like that uh, still exist I've spoken to people who did things like that uh, this past year or people who've gone uh, woofing I think it's called where you go go live on the farms for free but but now wherever you are you're still plugged into everything, right? Right. Like it's, it's, it's hard to escape. You spoke a little bit also about Michelle Hoelbeck's uh, elementary particles, and that kind of reminds me of a passage just uh, in regards to the kind of like hippie movement of the 1960s where he said something along the effect of, you know, what was presented as a sort of communalist farm utopia, you know, with the 60s countercultural revolution, you know, in which, you know, communism was to be brought about alongside the sexual revolution, it became just another stepping stone in the rise of the constructed individual. And I think that we're sort of seeing these um, pro-collectivized movements, I think, from both sides of the political spectrum, I think, with the whole traditionalism thing and the uh, trad or Lindy or whatever you want to call it, I see that as kind of like the opposite side of the kind of left uh, in collectivism in some kind of way. Not to get too political, um, but does that make any sense to you? Uh, can, can you explain that a bit more? What, what those movements, how, what those movements are? I guess, and what, what you mean by the constructed individual? I'm sort of paraphrasing Hoelbeck when he said constructed individual, which means that what I, the, what, the way I take it is almost like from Gestell, the idea that the individual is somehow constructed and mediated through its representational environment. And so to me, there's the idea of agency and then there's the idea of being constructed just by simply being in the world. And I think, or being in society. And I think maybe what he was saying is that the hippie movement just sort of replicated uh, other facets of, of social organization of the mass, of the sort of uh, mass culture itself. Yeah. I've just been flicking through my, my copy of Elementary Particles just now on the sofa to... Uh, to kind of get back up to speed for, for our conversation. Um, Welbeck definitely hated hippies, hates, hates hippies throughout, throughout his writing. And I think his, 
his mother was a hippie um, and the kind of bad mother character in Elementary Particles is, is based on his mother. Um, I think she later sued him about it or wrote a, wrote a kind of counter-argument to it. So yeah, he definitely has a lot of contempt for the hippie movement in, in all sorts of ways. Um, and kind of ties it to this idea of individualism, which he, he sees individualism having, as having destroyed society in a sense. And that's, that's certainly an idea that uh, people from all sides of the political spectrum have spoken about, I think, yeah. the problems with individualism. And, it's, and at the same time, it's, uh, it's this powerful force that, that different movements um, from across the spectrum also still appeal to. Uh, from my own in individualist perspective, I, I certainly, I, I can see a lot of bad things about individualism, but I cannot free, free myself from them yeah. personally. Like I can't resist the individualist age, uh, the individualist urge, sorry. Something we might come on to uh, later is there do seem to be these new anonymous um, or collective movements on, on the internet now. Yeah. Uh, weird new forms of anonymity and facelessness. And that's really interesting. But as a, as a washed millennial individualist, it's kind of also, it's, it's completely inaccessible to me as, as someone who has trouble getting past themselves. Uh, with Welbeck, going back a bit, there's there's definitely there's definitely an idea that the '60s counterculture really promoted um, a cult of individualism, and that that runs deep through fine art, certainly, and yeah. through most culture, through music as well, definitely. Um, it's also something that Adam Curtis says in hypernormalization. He he talks about the downtown scene in New York. He's probably talking about the 70s, and he's showing a Martha, Martha Rosler Martha Rosler video on the screen, and he's talking about how there was this artistic movement in the 60s and 70s where uh, where it suddenly became about kind of changing changing yourself within rather than rather than trying to change the world it becomes about this sort of personal transformation mm. yeah and one of the arguments that i hear is that you know there's a sort of individualistic hyper individualistic uh need to sort of repeat these kind of idioms like be the change you want to see in the world as if that somehow that has no sort of bearing on collective reality or sort of collective consciousness, but I find that to be almost completely untrue. I do think that having a sort of rich inner life it is a kind of, at least in the arts, I think, leads a, a sort of positive example to, you know, something that people can actually achieve. And a book that I find really 
that touches upon the the whole idea of leaving society is Umsweil by Ernst Jünger, which is, I don't know if you've heard of it, it's a science fiction novel written by this World War I hero who tried, who was very um, aristocratic, but uh, you could say far right, but tried to kill Hitler and took a lot of LSD in the 50s and 40s and did a lot of drugs and really sort of pondered the idea of what it is to sort of leave society when faced with kind of soft totalitarianism. And I think it's a very prescient book for today. And he came up with this concept called the anarch, in which the anarchist is somebody who rages against society. It's somebody who rages at the quote-unquote powers only to be captured and subverted by such powers. And the straitjacket just sort of restricts them tighter and tighter, as where the anarch is somebody who sort of passively moves through the world, doesn't physically leave any space, but, you know, is sort of like an inner historian. And in many ways, the book sort of predated the internet because there's this device that he uses to summon uh, old historical events and artworks and um, uh, figures throughout history in which that becomes his like his sort of like inner sanctuary and i almost see with this kind of collective egregore of anonymous accounts if we can sort of decouple the millennial ego from uh the internet i think uh maybe this is a little idealistic maybe we can find some sort of inner peace through these more schizophrenic spaces online that I think are, are pretty fascinating, so. Well, in terms of decoupling from um, the kind of online persona, uh, someone, someone wrote to me last night on Instagram, I think, someone I, I don't know who they are. I've never spoken to them before. But they wrote to me and they, they'd read something I'd written and they were talking about how they'd deactivated their social media deactivated their Instagram for a long time, but they'd come back and they were a little apprehensive. They were in two minds about it, but they were talking about whether or not they were saying they don't really like being back on, but they felt that without social media, they didn't really exist or, or they were asking if it's possible to exist in today's world without, without somehow presenting yourself online. Um, in some way, leaving traces of yourself or performing yourself online. And what I think about that, I, I think it can it can feel today that you don't you don't exist if you're not if you're not somehow online from the the metaphysical level right down to just the very basic level of taking someone's contact or signing into a website or all these things that are kind of increasingly predicated on having uh, having some sort of presence. But as people have said, it, it seems to me that for a younger generation and probably for uh, older generations as well, meaning older than millennials, that a lot of a lot of this seems very naff, very, very cheesy or cringe and I think it's something that could date well I think it's something that will date very badly and that may well well does seem to already be happening but that could 
happen very quickly. It does, it does seem like a very millennial preoccupation to me. Uh, millennials being the generation that on the older end grew up without and then with the internet and on the younger end grew up with the internet their whole life but, but the kind of obsession with turning yourself into an online brand mm. and performing your life online and performing your persona online and kind of being a sort of making the self a kind of online first construct something that you're constantly performing like it, it is very embarrassing there's and yeah. there's certainly no and, and I, I think it's wrong to kind of assume that this is what life will be like going forward or that the yeah. internet will always be like this. Social media will always be like this. I, I, I think it's probably something. Yeah. I think in the future we'll look back on millennials as this incredibly narcissistic, uh, misguided, consumer-led, I, self-obsessed I, generation. Chuggy as the younger generation would refer to us they they call us chuggy i don't know i don't know this term I, someone i someone was trying to i asked someone last weekend what it meant they said it's like a taylor lorenz thing it, it's one of a few terms that i need explaining maybe yeah, you can explain them all to me today it's a it's kind of the term for as i think it originated like so many neologisms it has its root in in a time that actually predated ours but i think it's been sort of reimagined to describe this kind of cringe millennial need and i see this all of the time and i think part of the reason why just to kind of partially answer your earlier question why i think contain seems confusing to so many people is because I really set out to kind of decouple my own sort of personal uh, life and thoughts and modalities from this very strange process that I am still sort of figuring out. It's like, an, you know, there really is no final form. And I think that millennials are especially obsessed with this idea of final form. Like if we can just get x policy or join x group or be represented through um x i think they're sort of obsessed with collective representation but in a highly individualistic way in a way that is increasingly just self-serving and as you referred to being narcissistic it's like on one hand you have people vying for this sort of universal but they're doing it through these incredibly uh, parochial and myopic localist ways of organizing. And I think that it's driving atomization like further and further and, and crazier and crazier. And people are just splintering off. And they're not post binary, they're, you know, sort of just kind of restructuring and forming and splintering new sort of things that are already sort of animating themselves or explained in the world. And I think that's very troubling. Yeah. I don't, I don't have a response to that. Um, I mean, I agree. We are, we are so atomized. Um, maybe we always were, but it's, but it's very apparent now. It's something I've spoken about a little before, but 
but I do feel even when I was in group chats with with friends, you know, even in the very carefully self-selecting group chats of people who are almost as similar as can be, we just didn't agree on on anything. Yeah, um, really at heart, that like whatever whatever kind of filter bubbles we were supposed to be living under whatever like weird little enclave we'd made for ourselves it didn't work because we just fundamentally had different tastes and different opinions on on almost anything yeah and, and maybe everyone's like that at heart i'm not sure yeah i had a, I, I, today i was very i was around uh, very normal people more so than I'm used to, because I went to uh, a chiropractor this morning. Went to my new chiropractor, who I won't be going back to. And, and then I had lunch in, um, well, I went and had coffee at Bryant Square in the middle of Midtown, here in Bryant Park, in the middle of Midtown here in New York. And it was lunch break, I guess. So I was surrounded by office workers and the kind of, yeah, I was like immersed in those sorts of conversations or small talk from so my chiropractor. So strange. That was mind blowing. Ob- observing normal people. I mean, <laughs> I uh, I kind of did my own form of leaving society when I moved to Texas from Los Angeles and, and observing the kinds of conversations. It's it's really fascinating. You know, there's something, <clears throat> especially though, in what you're describing is just kind of like, I think you describe something like, you know, we have these bullshit jobs and we're sort of playing these bullshit roles. And a book I just read recently, I think did a really great way. And you also describe something as the most precious people moving forward will have the worst opinions imaginable. And they would be like blood diamonds, which is something that I'm very, very fascinated by and I'm all about. Uh, which is sort of elevating heretical consciousness as a kind of escape from this consensus, this kind of hyper-individualized way of consensus forming. We're almost sort of high time for a fluxus, like a retarded fluxus movement, which I think spawned Black Dean Kissick and many many other sort of strange internet. I don't know how you feel about all of that. Uh, There's there's a lot to unpack there. (laughs) We can we can go um, point by point, I guess. And we can come back. Whatever stuff gets lost along the way. But when I, I I agree that it's a good time for really to be really stupid, to be really foolish. It's a good time for clowning, that sort of thing. But but when when I was talking about the most precious people going forward are people with the worst opinions. Though I didn't I didn't mean that in a positive way. It's more just an observation that, you know, that's what performs really well now. It's just to have a incredibly dumb opinion, like a kind of outrageously dumb take on something or outrageously offensive offensive in the this is stupid sense you know that that kind of thing does so well online even if even if everyone's 
attacking you for it, you know, or, or it does so well on um, newspaper op-eds and opinion columns. Um, so it's a really, it's, it's a really precious commodity in a way. It's, it's the best way to stand out really, is just to say, just, just to perform ridiculous opinions or write your stupid, stupid columns because, because there's so much stuff now. You've got you've to separate yourself somehow. That's, that's interesting because that's sort of a, a completely different angle than I had on it. I was almost speaking to doing things that nobody needs, you know, and now Scarred, I think, uh, I think when he wrote My Struggle, you know, I heard actually you on, on the Our Struggle podcast say that you guys were talking about how this was something that nobody needs. And I think under the current conditions, we almost need opinions. We need vocalizations that nobody needs, things that actually may not attract any attention, uh, rather, that sort of just are like earshot or cosmic in a certain way, very cryptic, difficult to sort of linguistically approach. I think that there's a there's kind of like a new poetic language that is forming that I'm sort of more speaking about less less like I'm going to have like the worst opinion ever and it be something that is overgeneralized and oversaturated but just taken up a notch I'm talking about like kind of like a new language I don't know if that if that Yeah yeah I I, I agree with I agree with that too I'm just saying these are two different things. Oh, I'm not okay. saying I'm yeah, not yeah. saying we should have, or anyone listening should try to have the worst opinions ever. I'm just saying that the kind of voices that do very well in today's uh, media and communication landscape, and the kind of people that really get elevated, are often just the people saying the stupidest things, uh, yeah. or just saying the most outrageous, reaction-garnering things. Um, and then for me, that's one of the big reasons why what you're talking about makes sense because we're fed, we're fed so much insane opinion every day. If we look at that stuff and, you know, even fed so much ridiculous or just, um, incomprehensible, uh, impossible to parse information from governments, from papers, newspapers, from, from brands, from social movements even. Everything is so complicated and contradictory and impenetrable now. It's, uh, it's, it's important, I think, to find ways to rise out of it, to like see past it or just stop paying attention. Uh, one way to do that would be to leave society, like leaving society in the Taolin mode. Like it, uh, it definitely involves just cutting yourself loose from mainstream media and 